Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. I am Travis Ratz, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my Jingle Bell partner in crime, Jay Castro. Say hello to the people, Jay. Hello, hello. Oh, good. That's how we did it. We just did like a sound check right there, too. Multitasking. <laughs> um, uh, welcome back to another episode. If you have joined us, you know what we do here on the Pop Bonsai. We curate pop culture for you. And by curate means that we watch things that we like or we're interested in or that we know about tangentially and we want to explore a little bit more. We usually pick a big theme or a big topic. Oh, we've done things like vinyls and diners and werewolves. And we even did like last week one of my favorite episodes, maybe, possibly. Uh, Grease. We had we, we greased ourselves up. Uh, might, might I say, sweet six-pack, Jay. <laughs> sweet six-pack. Yeah. As of right now, you're the only one that can appreciate that. Yeah, I know. I know. It's kind of like, remember what Arnold had this theory schwarzenegger um had this theory that uh you know he when he was in the movies he'd always wear long sleeve shirts right because that those were his money makers if you wanted to see the pythons you had to buy the movie ticket you gotta so pony up huh? anytime you saw like anytime you saw arnold in his civilian gear he would be in long sleeve shirts because if you wanted to see greased up arnold you had to go to the movies and that's kind of like you jay like if you want that's to see that J six pack, you gotta watch Grease. Yeah, you gotta you gotta put in the money. Yeah, I don't, I don't just give it away. That's right. So we talk about abs, fitness, and everything pop culture here on the Pop Bonsai <laughs> Podcast today because Christmas is right around the corner. We are going to take a look at the nineteen eighty eight. Uh, Richard Donner film Scrooge, starring Bill Murray. Oh, if you've been on this planet, you've probably at least heard about Scrooge. But we'll talk about, is this movie still being watched? Is it still being played at Christmas? What's great about this movie as a holiday movie? What's great about Bill Murray as an actor? Uh, uh, And have I ever watched this movie before? I just watched it again this week, and I still don't know if I've seen it before. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, huh? And then we are going to, uh, Jay and I, which we are want to do sometimes, we create. We're creators. We're we're journeymen, and we're creators, and we're podcasters. And so during Halloween, we created our, we compiled, we curated a Halloween playlist for you. And we put that up on YouTube and Spotify. And... Because it was so successful in our eyes and ears that we decided <laughs> to repeat that process with uh, Christmas. And Jay and I curated 31 Christmas songs, half of which are some of Jay's favorite, half of which are some of my favorite. And now some of Jay's favorite are some of my favorites after jamming out. So we're going to go through that list and and fire through the through that list and talk about why we picked that song or why we like about, about that song and so we got a lot of Christmas cheer to spread on today's podcast. Phew! Did I cover it Indeed. all, Jay? You did beautifully. And let me, let me just uh, say vice versa with the, the favorites. Mm. You know, some of the stuff you put on there, I've never heard. I'm like, and, and I'm like, oh, I want to listen to the rest of that album. I'm thinking about this is an off mic conversation we should have. We should just scrap the whole pop on I thing and just make playlist. <laughs> interesting no we want to watch films we love films too so um before we start talking about scrooge i do want to we were just talking about grease and jay's greased up abs um 
after last week, I did watch Grease 2, Jay. Uh, okay. Which I had and... seen parts of before. I think the song uh-huh. numbers before. And I watched the movie, and I'm like, oh, this isn't very good. And like the music isn't very good. But then I listened to the soundtrack on Spotify, and I love it. I love it. There are some sweet jams in that movie, Jay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Has it been a while since you've seen it? Oh, dude, it's been a really long time. Yeah. In fact, I think I maybe only saw it once or twice a long time ago. And um, I think my expectations were just super low because everybody pretty much universally hates it. So I went in there thinking it was just going to be total trash, you know, and I'm like, this isn't as bad as what everyone says, but I haven't rewatched it for like 10 years. Yeah. You might give it a little, you might give it another rewatch. It's, it's, it's much more Rocky horror picture show than it is Greece. I feel like it's much, I guess Greece is campy, but this feels like low budget campy. Um, Mm -hmm. And the songs, you know, they, they don't seem as joyful, but they seem a little bit like darker. I, I don't know. But if you haven't checked out Grease 2, go check out Grease 2. Um, Scrooge, Jay. I like that. Yeah. I haven't seen it in, in a while. And I this is a movie that I've probably seen the first 40 minutes of several times. But I don't remember much past the first act at all. Much okay, so past let me ask the you first this. ghost. Do you remember why you've only seen the first 40 minutes several times? Um. So I, this was a movie I never watched growing up. And I th- this should have been a movie I watched growing up because it came out in 1988. I was four years old. You would think that, you know, in the early 90s, they'd be showing this on TV or it would be one of those holiday favorites in a family-friendly household, like A Christmas mm-hmm. Vacation or Home Alone. It hits right in that era. But for some reason, and I'm a big Bill Murray fan, I think most people in my family are as well. But for some reason, this movie just didn't make it on into rotation. Never owned it on VHS. Uh, I think I would see it a little bit of it at people's places. And as older, I'll be flipping through the channels and I would see it uh, on television and watch it. But this is not a movie that I think now, because it's a 1988 movie, that I can watch with commercial breaks. And I don't think I was able to withstand this movie with commercial breaks. It kind of breaks it yeah. up in a way that... Uh, I guess I couldn't get through before. But in watching it this week, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And here's what I looked for. When I was watching it, I was like, why is this movie so beloved? That's what I went into it watching. I'm going to figure out why this movie is so beloved. And two, what is the essence of Bill Murray? Like, why? What, what is it that makes Bill Murray Bill Murray? And is it on this? How much of it is on display here in this movie? Yes, good point. Good point. I think okay. So if if we're gonna get into it right now, let's are we get just into it. Dive right in? Let's get to it. I I think this is Bill Murray. This is like what people when, when you think of Bill Murray. This is this is the kind of dude you think of, minus like the angriness and stuff. But he's like he's super witty, mm-hmm. charming, and he has the ability to be really intimidating yet um kind of well how do you how should i say broken well that like like disarming mm-hmm. like yes like, yes it's not intimidating looking but the second he opens his mouth you're like oh this guy can probably you know like we were talking about before can 
can probably use his words to behead me. You know, mm. <laughs> um, this, this arming is a fantastic phrase to to because he's he's charming is the obvious go to for any kind of celebrity. Oh, Ryan Gosling's charming, right? You know, uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth is charming. Uh, you know, you know these, but disarming. There's that movie. It was based on a play called Closer. Um, and Jude Law is talking to Natalie Portman. They may meet by chance. Have you seen this movie before? Ah. Uh, wow. And uh, so anyways, it's a chance encounter. And uh, Jude Law is talking to Natalie Portman. He almost got hit by a car. They're talking on the bus. Uh, bus, And he says he writes obituaries. And he goes, uh, you know, she's like, what's the, what's the, what's the key to writing an obituary? He goes, well, you got to find euphemisms. And she turns to him, she go, what would be my euphemism? And she said, and he says, she was disarming. And, you know, and she took it as like a negative and she goes, well, that's such a negative. He goes, no, it doesn't have to be. And that line always stuck out when I hear disarming, I think about that scene. And there is, some people can take it. If you look at the term disarming, it can seem like a negative term. Uh, yeah. But to, ever since I saw that movie and heard that dialogue, I think of it as like kind of like uh, it, it's it's a kind of a compliment. There's something about you that that's takes people off, you know that that puts people. Oh, I don't want to say like in a defensive position, but it's it's a good term for de to describe Bill Murray. Well said on that. Yeah, when when people say that, I I I almost sort of think of like, well, you're not what I thought you were going to be when I saw you. You know what I mean? Like, you don't look like what your personality ended up being. Like, you know? Right. Here's what here's the dictionary definition of it: having the effect of uh, allaying suspicion or hostility, especially through charm. Mm. That's that's why I was like, you nailed it with Bill Murray. That's what he does. Bill Murray is disarming. Check. All right. Check one thing off. The <laughs> Man, I had two goals for this podcast, Jay, and we already knocked one out. I guess why do yeah, people love the food now? <laughs> yeah. So do you, uh, are there people, have you ever met a Bill Murray hater? I get, not necessarily hater, but I've met people that are like, I don't know what the big deal I don't get is about it. this guy. Yeah, yeah. He's kind, of, he's kind of become this hipster symbol well, at least 10 years ago, where he started showing up in kind of Banksy-esque artwork and on T-shirts. And I think he, I yeah. think when the beard had its renaissance again, that came <laughs> part and part with Bill Murray. Like the, be the beard and Bill Murray kind of came in together uh, as, I really think maybe at the Wes Anderson stuff, I think especially after Life Aquatic, that's when Bill Murray had his kind of second renaissance he's actually had quite a few phases the 80s phase yeah. the, like you know the meatballs the caddyshack then it was the 90s like super stardom late 80s with um uh like well movies. i think it started with this this and I think this is like this is ghostbusters was what um i want to say 84 86? Yeah, I think okay. so because it, I think it had been four years because he was totally disillusioned with the movie industry after that. Right, and but that that's an ensemble cast. I mean, you could say it's kind of Bill Murray's movie, but um, it is an ensemble cast. This is really like because Groundhog Day follows this a little bit sooner on, and that's when you get Bill Murray being one of Hollywood's like biggest celebrities. 
Yeah. And then he falls out of the limelight for a little bit, and people like Wes Anderson and Sofia Coppola bring him back with Lost in Translation and Royal Tannenbaums and and things like that. Uh, and that's where you start oh, to get Rushmore. The, Rushmore. Yeah. Is that's when you start to get the hipster Bill Murray. Yeah. But there yeah. is a quality that survives all three of those phases from the slapstick comedy to the Hollywood um, uh, fame to the hipster, you know, icon is that disarming quality that you're talking about. Yeah. And and I think what makes him last through so many, you know, generations just keep adoring this guy is his humor isn't, isn't in your face and it's actually a, a pretty smart <clears throat> brand of humor, and it's so subtle, right? Like you, you, a lot of the things you have to kind of really listen to what he's saying to to catch some of it, and it's it, even like the his eyes mm-hmm. or and, you know the facial expressions he makes. It's so it's so subtle, and I think a, a lot of it goes over people's heads. And I'm not saying like, well, I, you know, I get it all, but. I think I, people like you and I, and and we appreciate it a lot more than some, you know, than, than like a Jim Carrey fan would, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, going on what you're talking about. So I was watching him and how he moved and how he delivers his dialogue, which really hasn't changed that much. He's toned it down. No. He's toned down the. Uh, uh, the coiled spring of it all. Um, it's much more subdued in his later films. However, there is, he delivers his lines, and, and, and in Scrooge, there's a lot of walk and talk scenes where they're walking at the camera and the camera's tracking back and he's walking back because he's always delivering instructions in this movie. Go pick this up, go take this here, go do <laughs> this here. But when he's doing that, it's almost an internal monologue. He doesn't react very much off the other actors. The other actors react off of him. He's yeah. always Bill Murray. He has this delivery in all his movies, and the actors, the interesting thing is watching these other actors deal with Bill Murray's disarmament, his disarming nature, but he doesn't change. And when he does, it's purposeful in its effect, and it has more of an effect. Like when he goes down into the sewers and sees that that frozen man, the frozen Mm. bum, and he reacts and has this, he he reacts to an external situation in a non Bill Murray way. It has a very jarring effect, which kind of takes you away from this, his internal monologue. You know, I was watching cause he's, I'm like, Oh, it doesn't matter who's in the scene with him. He's not reacting off them. You know, some yeah. with, with the ghost and things he is where he can't help, but like, I have to be scared in this or whatever it is. Uh, but I feel like he, it, it's, it's a weird you know, in acting, it's always about listening and reacting, they say. You know, you listen to your acting, your scene partner, you react acting to them. Acting is reacting. Uh, yeah. But for him, it seems to be more internal. That's interesting. That's, yeah. that's a really good observation. Yeah. You're right. I, ha- I never really noticed I, that. I'd have to right. watch him in other movies. We think about Ghostbusters. He's like doing a stand-up comedy routine, and the other characters just have to deal with it. <laughs> like, think about when he's going through the fridge, yeah. the fridge in Sigourney Weaver's apartment, and he's just like, what's in here? You know, it's this guy just doing this routine, and then people are like, what is oh, uh, this? Is he being ho- kind of hostile? I, I don't know how to react to this. 
I think you're right. I, yeah. I was thinking when you were when you were saying that, I was thinking about the part in the very beginning when he had that college student hooked up to those electrodes and he was yeah. showing them the the cards. Yeah. yeah. That's totally what you're saying. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 an interesting take on it. It's in, like you said, an interesting brand of humor Bill Murray has, um, and it's on full display in Scrooge. So, yeah. oh yeah, as a Bill Murray vehicle, it, it's you, like you said, it's one of the it's prime Murray. This in Groundhog Day, um, even more so than Ghostbusters, I think is is prime Murray. Yeah, of this, of this era. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, look, go ahead, go ahead, please. I was going to ask you. So, are you a fan of uh, this Charles Dickens short story? That's ex- you read my mind. That's exactly what I was going to go on. So, here's my other thing with Scrooge. I am not a fan of the Christmas Carol. Oh, really? Uh, and I was trying to think about why. Why am I not a fan of this? I appreciate Dickens for the master that he is, uh, especially when it comes to plot weaving and cliffhangers. He wrote in this kind of serial, he wrote in the serialized way of writing where a lot of the stories were broken up into magazine or gazette forms as they were coming out. And then later, mm-hmm. you know, he's called the father of the, the modern novel Dickens is, you know, so that that idea of ending a chapter on a cliffhanger and starting it again. And it's, it's that using that Gustav Freytag plot pyramid in this longer form. Uh, he's really a master at that. So I, I can't fault that. Um, I love Great Expectations, too. But like Oliver mm-hmm. Twist and some of that stuff, it doesn't... I appreciate it, but it's not it's not my thing. And I, I believe I was thinking about why I don't appreciate Christmas Carol. I think it was just rammed down my throat as a kid and now when i saw the release date when i saw the release date of this movie i think this movie was part of it i feel i feel that every year during elementary school i had to listen or read some form of the christmas carol there was the mickey mouse version uh every tv Mm. show had their christmas special version of this i i'm just so sick of seeing this story in its christmas form I think a character being haunted by their past, their present, and their future and having to deal with all three of those aspects in one story is a great premise that Dickens doesn't own. A a character visiting his past, having to come to terms with his present, and foreboding his future is great. But why does it always have to be in this Christmas and Christmas ghost format? It's, It's just... Just like changing now, it's in uh, it's in the eighties at a dance club, uh, and now it's in uh, a jungle in you know Zaire, and I'm just like ah, it's just plug and play, and uh, I guess yeah. you could say that's true with like Shakespeare stuff like Romeo and Juliet, but for some reason when you add the Christmas element into it, it's just too close to a Christmas Carol. Hmm. See, I. I'm the complete opposite of that. I grew up on um, Mickey's Christmas Carol and, and loved it as a child. And I just um, then, well, then there was this Scrooged and, and speaking of Jim Carrey, the uh, well, uh, Disney made a, a, a animated uh, Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. I've which seen is the preview for it. Excellent. And I, read a christmas carol every year around christmas time 
And it's like, it's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> wow. Jay, this might be the the biggest thing that we've disagreed upon in our, 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 our short term as, as, as friends here. This might end the friendship. Uh, <laughs> I think I was just texting you this week. I was like, man, you have great taste. I, I'm good. I got this Apple watch. How do I rescind a text? Can I go back in time? Can I visit the goat? Can I visit the goats of past rats and and tell him, don't send that text message. You'll regret it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I've just always been really captivated by the story. And uh, I, I couldn't even really tell you why. I just find it really fascinating that just the, the, how it's like, it's never too late. Like, you know, redemption is never too late and you can, you can set aside whatever, um, uh, whatever roadblocks you have from stopping you from doing this and, and just do it no matter how crazy people think you are, no matter how bizarre behavior Mm -hmm. it may seem to others, it's, it's never too late to, to turn things around and set things straight. That's an excellent point. Don't get me wrong. I like the story. I just am burnt out on it. I just, it just, mm-hmm. it was just too much of that particular story um, on there. But it's, it's a very touching story. And I remember as the first couple times as a kid when I heard it, it was very powerful. Uh, and the the character of Scrooge is well f- fleshed out. His ensemble cast, uh, they sometimes in some versions they make him into real archetypes. But in like uh, Cratchit and uh, Mallory, Mallory, who um, were you talking about? It, the characters in the Christmas Carol, the original one, it's Cratchit um, and who's the M girl? Is it Mal- Maybe it's I think it's Mallory. Um, I was in a version of this in like first grade too. Maybe that's why too. I I remember well, the yeah, first play I more. the first play I did. I think it was first grade. We all had to audition for a christmas carol and i was like Mm. okay i think i might like acting and i auditioned for it and i got one of the dancers so i had to learn (laughs) i had to learn how to do a box dance and i had a dance like a party yeah yeah exactly and i had to learn how to box dance and had to dance with a girl in first grade and so you had to like i had to hold her hand i had to get close i had to box dance and i was like Ew. ew gross I hate acting. I hate this story. I should be I should be Scrooge. And so now I am a Scrooge when it comes to this story. <laughs> Bahumba, Christmas Carol. So what do you think about okay, you like the story. What do you think about them placing it in this world of a TV uh I guess he he's not an agent, he's the uh, producer, like the big Yeah, like a network yeah. president of something. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought it worked really really well uh surprisingly well i think all the the story aspects just aligned with with setting it in modern times and the the funny thing is is that you know in re, in doing a little bit of research for this um a lot of people think uh bill murray's character frank cross is just too mean is too mean spirited the movie is too dark and the character is, is pretty much irredeemable. 
what do you think about that? Uh, I disagree. You, I thought I thought that he I thought they eased up on it. If you look at the original Christmas Carol, um, I think that they've they softened him. And I think by having those moments of humor uh, with his secretary and things like that, even w- so, for example, when he's like, I need you if I'm working late, you're working late. There's a sense that he needs this person and appreciates what this person does. We're going to take advantage of that and, and, and abuse that privilege. And we're, we're going to we're not going to filter what we say to them. Um, but the Scrooge in the Christmas Carol and you you would know more than I do. You have more familiar familiarity with it seems much more of not only am I going to be cruel to you, but I'm not even going to acknowledge your existence or benefit to my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And, and Bill so, Murray is getting people gifts. That's a very unscrooge thing. That's true. It's good. You know, bath towels. There's bath you know, towels of a high quality bath towel could be very expensive these days. You're looking at like $80 a bath towel. <laughs> Don't forget the state of the art VHS recorder that, that only, the only the privileged got. But um, yeah, I, I think that they had to go dark. They had, you know, they had to go to a place like that in order for the viewer to appreciate his turnaround at mm-hmm. the end. Otherwise, it wouldn't have really meant that much, you know. Uh, and I think everyone who's been in the workforce for any amount of time has seen. Uh, parts of their boss in him because i've had some bastard bosses Mm -hmm. you know and that's i i feel like i felt like um uh gosh what's alfrey woodard's character yeah i felt like bobcat goldwaith's character at times you know i've been thrown out of a workplace like bobcat goldwaith almost really exactly Uh uh-huh oh yeah like you're sitting with your box out on the sidewalk I didn't have the box because I'd only been working there for two days. But security picked me up by both arms and literally tossed me out of the building. Wow. What'd you do, so, Jay? Nothing, dude. All I did was I was late. You didn't go to that sexual harassment training and it burned you in the end, <laughs> didn't it? It was at a it was at like a beeper. Uh this is how long ago it was. It was at a, a like a, a call center for customer service for a, like a beeper company. And it was my second day, and it was at a high rise in downtown Phoenix. And there was something about the elevators being allocated for certain floors at certain times. So they're like, don't be late. Don't be, you know, they stressed it. Mm. And I was late. And I show up and they're like, get out. No, security, get him out of here. Whoa. And yeah, dude, I was tossed out. Just tossed out just like that. <laughs> That's... I didn't want to go grab a shotgun. I didn't go, yeah. go grab a double barrel and go shoot the place up, but. Yeah, dude, it was very similar. Yeah, wow, that's that's a Scrooge, that's a Scrooge move right there. Um, yes, <laughs> I th- I was watching it, and about halfway through, I'm looking at the movie, and my thoughts, and I didn't, I didn't read, I don't know if this is true, but I I if I had my guess, I would think that they probably were even way darker in the original cut. I, I feel that I actually might. I like the movie; it was fun. But I think the movie could be even better if it was more of a dark comedy uh, yeah. than at times. 
uh, slapstick. Eh, not really slapstick, but like family friend. I think I think I think if you fast forward it twelve years, it could be darker and quirkier that way, uh, and it'll be an interesting effect. But then you lose some of the family friendliness, which makes it such a classic Christmas film. Maybe. Well, because, you know, um, Bill Murray and, and Richard Donner apparently did not get, famously did not get along on this set. Do you know and why? From, did you read it? Yeah, I was going to say, go ahead. From what I gathered, it was because Bill Murray wanted to explore the, the Karen Allen love interest plot more. And Richard Donner wanted to do, I guess, something more traditional. But this is kind of weird because you think about Richard Donner, think about Omen, Lethal Weapon, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, well, that's where he's coming from. And then you think of a place where Bill Murray's coming from. And I'm not sure who ended up winning. I have a feeling it ended up being a more of a Richard Donner uh cut than anything else yeah obviously and you're right i think it it could have been quirkier and a little more less traditional if if bill murray would have had his way i think bill murray does really well with the romantic leads uh as we see in groundhog day and even in ghostbusters i think he he because you see him as an audience and you see the women that he is you know has to charm and you're like oh these women would be way out of his league in the uh first of all like I'll both of my hat here I have this hair that's su- like super long now like even <laughs> this hat and when Bill Murray is young Bill Murray I'm like holy shit I have young Bill Murray hair in Scrooge this is not a good look I might have to get a haircut but I'm looking at this guy and I'm like there's no way that Karen Allen in real life is going to be like, who is this sexy, semi-balding, mulleted, curly-haired man over here? But when you see how he interacts with his female leads, yeah, you you are like, oh, you fall in love with, with Bill Murray through their eyes. You do it in Groundhog Day. You do it in Ghostbusters. That makes his uh, his character more likable. And you do it in Scrooge. Women... The women in Bill Murray's films, the love interest, allow the audience to feel, we said disarming means kind of like this hostile, like you feel like it allows us to, again, kind of settle that down because we're seeing them through his eye, their, her eyes. Well, in all fairness, it did take him like, I don't know how many years to get Andy McDowell to actually notice him and pit, you know, because remember he kept living every day and every day he'd get a little bit yeah. wrong and he'd go That's back true. and correct it a little bit, right? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you even look at Sigourney Weaver in in Ghostbusters, you know, again, like you said, there's no way somebody like Sigourney well, Weaver should how, even. How about the worst know? offender, uh, Lost in Translation, him in like oh. young Scarlet Joe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, no way. But at the end of the movie, you're like, I I kind of get it. I I mean, yeah. it kind of works. He's he you know he's this unlikable character, but through her eyes, I like him more. It does. Yeah, there's there's something about him, and I think I think I have to keep leaning on the the disarming quality, and he's just so he's funny in a in a way that that's just makes you want to hear more mm-hmm. 
You know, it's like it wants you. There's something about it wants to you want to get to know him more. You know, Um, but I don't know. Do you? All right, so let's get let's get in some some fun stuff here. Uh, Which uh, which ghost is your favorite ghost as far as that section of the film to to go for the ride on? The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, or the ghost of Christmas future. I'll even throw in uh, what's his old uh, boss's uh, name. Uh, um, who comes... Jacob Marley. Yeah, Jacob Marley. Yes, thank you. Um, I well that well that's in what the, it was in the Christmas Carol. Yeah, I was looking at. IMDb I don't know. I don't remember what it is in this, but it is Jacob. Um... It is Jacob Marley. Jamie Farr as Jacob Marley. Oh well, no, Jamie Farr was on the production. He was on the production they were working on. Jamie Farr says cast as Jacob Marley on IMDb. Really? Is that right? Is that that's I, I couldn't tell with the makeup. Mm, no, that can't be right. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I think Jamie Farr played Jacob Marley. Wow, that that makes me like it even even more. Let me see. Let's get a picture. Look at Jamie Farr. I don't. Can you, Jamie, isn't. Okay. Jamie Farr is Jacob Marley and Scrooge. Yep, it's even in on his. Yeah, from Mash. Okay, that's bizarre. I never would have thought of that was under there. Um, but my to answer your question, my favorite ghost is by far David Johansson, the Ghost of Christmas Past. That's mine too. Why do you like oh, David? He, why do you like David Johansson? It was he's just so funny. Like yeah. that that whole New York yeah. thing, you know, is so hilarious and. I, I was also reading that apparently Sam Kinison was supposed to play that part. I could see that. I could see. I that, could actually. see it too. But there's something about um, David Johansson's character that I think that I feel wouldn't have been as approachable as if Sam Kinison would have done it. You know, I think Sam Kinison would have just been straight up mean. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Get out! <house! laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know there was there were parts of of uh, of David Johansson, uh, and, oh, and apparently David uh, David Johansson got the part because he's friends with Bill Murray. That's what it was. What well, I read. Um, he is he has this other worldly look about him as well. So you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to do a lot with the makeup. So it, <laughs> it didn't it didn't feel it felt or the he hair. felt ghost like uh, without a whole prosthetic. Put a, he could he could blend into the, you you buy him being blended into the real world. Later he comes back to give uh, Karen Allen the uh, or Claire Phillips the ride to the TV station, that was cool and you're like oh he blends into the real world as well. Uh, yeah, he is he is the most fun, and the New York thing is great. Um, he's like it's uh, like a rerun on television, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it's great. I, I wasn't. I, I will say this: I wasn't a a fan of uh, Carol Kane as much as I liked her in other stuff in the in this. Um, the attacking bit that slap it, it was done a couple too many times that uh, it leaned me the movie more in the direction that that I wasn't enjoying as much the slapstick elements yeah. of it, um, and it it kind of because that's a that's a really I think we knew we do need some humorous breaks in the Ghost of Christmas Present because that's some really tough stuff 
where he's you know going to see the brother and uh, the 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 bum and and things like that. Uh, and so going too far the other direction with like I'm attacking you uh, <laughs> felt. A, a, a little bit of a uh, of an odd choice, which made me not appreciate her performance as much. Uh, it take you out of it. It, it did. It, it did. It out. did. Yeah. It, it felt like this. It felt like the sugar plum fairy or like the fairy godmother role, but just. But I'm gonna play it mean. Oh, I'm so mean. <laughs> but she wasn't mean. She was just like aggressive, and it didn't fit the rest of her personality. That she was just pummeling him and slapping him uh it was so weird yeah but apparently she actually tore his lip like pretty severely in one part and they had to like stop production for a few weeks well i bet i mean in every scene she's like attacking him so someone's yeah yeah, like the part where she grabs his bottom lip yep and like pulls i guess that was probably yeah yeah, probably the makeup prosthetic thing got on there and just pulled that right off um I think that Karen Allen's character, I do not know why this woman gave Bill Murray these chances. Uh, you know, I maybe that's what Bill Murray was saying where he wanted more development. I don't feel that he really d- did enough to redeem himself in her eyes. It kind of makes, she's just, you know, that the, it's, she's great. I love her as an actress. Uh, but yeah, she, again, she gets put in these kind of, well, I guess India, India, India's different because she's kind of aggressive there. Uh, but, uh, this forgiving, like, oh, but you're, of course I'll give you another shot. I was like, you were pretty scumbag. Even at the food bank, when he goes down to like the homeless shelter and he's yelling at her employees and making <laughs> insulting. I was like, God, why are you, why would you even consider going out and getting dinner with this guy? I he even bought you like a really shitty Christmas gift, like knives, you know? Oh, yeah. uh, it's not a romantic <laughs> gift at all. Cut cans. Yeah, <laughs> cut cans. Uh, I, I, sometimes I think that they're – I mean, I, I haven't you ever known someone that you think if you – there's something about them – you know, maybe you like all these other aspects about them, but there's something that you don't, and you feel like, well, I can overlook it, or maybe if I can, I can just work on this person a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can just change that one thing, and then they'd be, you know, even better than what I have here in front of me. Well, I, uh, maybe yeah. that's something like that. Well, I mean, we all know assholes in life, and there are people, you know, that I know through work or whatever it is. I'm like, you're a real asshole. What do you, like, what did you do this weekend? Like, oh, I hung out with some friends. I'm like, what do you mean you hung out with some friends? How can people stand your presence? Yeah. And, and not like a subjective, you're just having a bad day, but you are always just uh, horrible to be around. And yeah. you make a good point. I think, and this applies to this movie, I see what you're saying is, sometimes if you've been friends with someone long enough, that seed of behavior was in you. But it grows more, and they're they overlook it because they for Remember it's, it's, it's like a parent, like you're always their baby daughter, or you're yeah. always there, you know. So for a friend, it's like you're always like my my college roommate. Yeah, ten years later, you grew up to be an asshole. But like I remember when we used to like eat pizza late at night and and you know talk about 
FIFA or something, you know? Uh, and that's <laughs> that's the person that you see. You don't see the person who's just a real horror show to be around. Yeah. And a lot of the times it seems like he he would tone it down when she was around for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like vice versa. Like, like, you know, say you grow up to be sad bastard of a guy and there's sometimes there's certain people that will just instantly put you back to where you once were. Yeah. You know, remember, I, I, I think it was last episode, a couple of episodes, we were talking about how hanging out with certain people will just bring you right back into mm-hmm. a certain way that you used to be, or, you know, um, so that's kind of what I think when I, when I see those two, when I see that relationship, I, I think both of those things. Yeah, it's, it's, there's that scene where they show her in the Christmas future, uh, where she's all hardened because he has stole the, uh, altruism from her and, uh, her idealism from her. And she's like, cold. she, they did a really good job of the makeup there too. She looks a completely different person, all glammed up and poshed out like that. And it's yeah. cold. And you're like, I don't like it. Uh, Carol Allen was perfect casting for this role. I I agree. I agree. And, and there's just something in her eyes that's just that's so genuinely kindly. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, gosh, she's got like the kindest eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I always and, think and about the... her in Sandlot, and I was like, I want her to be my mom. <laughs> and again, you're like, why is she with this asshole? Dennis Leary is such a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but but the, you know that part you're talking about. You know you you think, oh my gosh, you know, he finally, he broke her and, and he like hates himself for it, you know, for, for affecting her like that. And yeah. I, I thought that was a pretty, pretty powerful moment in that movie when, you know. So let's kind of wind it down to talking about the climactic scene, which they give a lot of time to. They didn't rush it. His big, he interrupts, there's a big shootout, shootout upstairs, the Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh, yeah. And that ends in his epiphany moment uh, where, you know, he sees his death and he's resurrected with the, the joy and the spirit of Christmas. And, and he runs down to where they're shooting this really cheesy, but not even <laughs> that cheap. Honestly, when you think about it, you're like, that is something that they would do like in 1988. It's not that far off. It was supposed yeah. to be a comical version, like hyperbole, of a uh, a Christmas special with like Mary Lou Henner and stuff like that. But it's not that far off of the kind of stuff that you would get around there. I and, know. I thought the same thing. And he, <laughs> he runs onto the sound stage, and he like I remember when someone's like, "Oh, he's getting fired," and I was thinking the same thing too. I'm like, "There's no way that any kind of studio is just going to let the you know the the president just come on and interrupt a, a broadcast." But they give it, I would say that scene is what, 10 minutes or so? It's a long time. To, yeah. And I, th- I think that was such a smart decision. To have this movie feel it was worth the ride. And to have that, wow, this is a kind it's really to, as you said, The Christmas Carol has a powerful message of redemption and how it's never too late. Uh, and how it can just, all it takes is a day or an evening to begin making the change. Um, That moment of doing that was done really well. And in the most Murray fashion, it reminded me, it reminded me, uh, you see it in 
Um, stri- that that performance you see in Stripes and in Meatballs. In Meatballs, when he's kind of rallying the other campers. In Stripes, when he's rallying the, the troops. That stand and deliver. Again, not reacting to anyone, but just delivering the routine. His yeah. beats, his comedic beats are his comedic beats. They are not affected by the environment at all. Uh, and that was a funny piece, uh, an engaging piece, and a very heartfelt piece as well. And it it, it, it did a lot because you're like, oh, I don't know if they're going to be able to pay this off. Is he redeemable? And they do it in this 10-minute speech he has there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It 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 hit on so many levels and like you said it was it was funny and uh, to use your exact words I- engaging and captivating and it really just knocked it out of the ballpark as to how this guy feels and and he just wants to just tell the universe right and while doing this, you know, I think that right there, that whole speech right there is why I like Christmas so much. I think that has a huge, I think he sold me, you know, he sold me into it, you know? So yeah, I, I love it. I like it a lot. You know, even from like the, the funny parts when he goes and he like, you know, kisses that dancer and, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it never really strays. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's, it's Bob pretty Keck great. Bobcat firing off rounds in the control booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, do you, is this your favorite version of Christmas Carol? Um, okay. It's, it's up there, but to be honest, I think my favorite still is, is Mickey's Christmas Carol. Hmm. In 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 like a you know watching it on TV, um, I still like Mickey's Christmas Carol for who, some reason. Who do you think? I know Jim Carrey played him rather recently, what ten years ago or so. Who do you think now would play a good good Scrooge? Ooh, Benedict Cumberbatch. That's that's the that correct answer, sir. That is the right answer to that question. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is a fantastic. Oh my gosh, you're that is perfect casting for that. Yeah, 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 and I just came up with it like right when you asked. Wow, I, like, I mean, his Sherlock Holmes is kind of like Scrooge. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was thinking of. That's kind of where my mind was when I when I plucked that out. I'm like, yeah, Sherlock is pretty curmudgeon-y. Yeah, you know? yeah. You can and even it, pick what's his face is uh, is uh, uh, Cratchit. His yeah, partner. oh, what? perfect. Yeah, the um, I can't remember his name yeah, right um, now. Bilbo. Baggins or yeah yeah. <laughs> There's my hundred eleven birthday. Um. So, uh, anything else uh, on a uh, Scrooge that that popped up in your viewing that that is you're burning to discuss about it before we move on to our Christmas playlist? Um. No. Oh. Okay. One thing. Okay. As much as I like this movie, one of the parts that does make me cringe is that part where he's at the restaurant and that guy's on fire and he throws water on him and he says, I'm sorry, I thought you were Richard Pryor. Dude, that's really oh, low. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's really low. 
I, I watch it. I'm like, oh, dude, how did they even allow that? Well, I think it's because Richard Pryor had had made jokes about his that before, you know. Uh, oh, did he? Uh, he has this bit where he'd light a, a match. He goes, "What's this?" He goes, "It's like me running down the street," you know. Jeez, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for for people who don't know, um, Richard Pryor in in like uh, a from what I, can only be attributed to a a, a, a drug yeah, he was, he craze. Was, he was freebasing and he caught himself yeah. on fire. Yeah, he caught himself on fire and ran down the street on fire and he suffered uh, second degree burns over mm-hmm. most of his body. And yeah, and that's why he said that. And I was like, oh man, that's... Murray must have known prior. I wonder if he got permission because... Uh, I mean, you have that famous uh, uh, thing by, is it Chris Rock in his early stamp special where Bill Cosby called Chris Rock. He's like, I don't know why you have to swear so much. You know, it's low class and whatever it is. And Rich, Chris Rock felt bad. And, you know, he's friends with Richard Pryor. He called up Richard Pryor. Uh, I think this was Chris Rock. And Richard Pryor was like, uh, told him, he goes, he goes, man, you making money? And he's like, yeah. He goes, well, then tell Bill to have a Coke and a smile and shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think uh, Pryor had had any. I think he was a guy who was like a funny. A joke is a joke. And if that's going to get you a laugh, then so be it. But yeah, it is. It is a little bit insensitive, especially. Yeah, I it, hope so. Yeah. It, uh, I hope that's the way it worked out. But the second thing I just wanted to touch on really quick. Did you notice the, the quick Miles Davis cameo in Scrooged? No. What was it? What when, part? When it was him and David Sanborn and Paul Schaefer were um, they're playing it on the New York City street when well, when Bill Murray and his brother were walking. And he, and he goes, oh, he, he, talk, he makes fun of the band. He goes something about... Uh, I don't remember the exact joke, but he, he says something about how much the band sucks. You know, have, you know why, why does it, why don't they get out or you know? And oh yeah, yeah, weird... yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, when they're coming out of like the 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 the, the studio, his his big building. yeah, his yeah, yeah. his building. Yeah, yeah, and they're walking down the street and they they run into the. the I didn't. I didn't. Band. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really quick. It was really quick. But so yeah, that's all I wanted to mention. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of music, that's a good segue because we're going to talk about our Christmas playlist here. Um, The Christmas playlist, I mean, there's just such, unlike Halloween, where, you know, there are some Halloween songs, but there's no, I mean, it's not like they play Halloween songs at malls and pump them through any speaker that, you know, you can play. Christmas songs is a huge, there's so much to select from. Um, That it's a when we said let's do this, I thought it would take me a lot longer because it just seemed very daunting to even go through my head and think about it. But then I just kind of relaxed. I'm like, all right, this doesn't have to be the end all be all. Like, what, what, where am I in right now? What kind of mood am I in right now for this Christmas in particular? Uh, And, um, and then, 
I had, you know, a few ones that I, I'm like, oh, I definitely, this is going to be on the list. And I'd go listen to that song. And that would remind me of like, oh, you know what else? Other song I absolutely love is this song. So I felt that it kind of organically built. Like once I got a couple of songs, then the other songs just seemed to make sense with it. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I can easily just go out of control with it. Um and just start grabbing like, you know, 50 songs. I already started a 2021 playlist, uh, believe it or not. There were so many songs I feel like I omitted after the fact that I'm like, okay, I can't let this one escape. I'm going to start a Pop Bonsai podcast, a 2021 Christmas podcast for for, our, for us. For 2021? Will, will we be around? <laughs> I don't know. Sure. But if we are. I'm yeah, <laughs> I, I got to put the date on this one because, yeah, we should we should do one uh, uh, every year. Do, I, guys, I, I'm going to tell you right now, Papa's Bonsai playlists are probably going to be a thing, not just for holidays. It's going to be like best songs to cruise down the street to, uh, best songs to garden to, uh, best songs to uh, write to, best songs to play uh, to play video games to, best songs to read comics to. Scrub your toilet too. We're gonna have a whole. Uh, yeah. We gotta create a whole page on our website, which is just like our different playlists. Oh, that'd be fantastic! Yeah, I love creating playlists, and I, my favorite part, as I said, is listening to what you come up with. Uh, and then, and then the fun part is, uh, and I'll let you do it next time because I, I, I know that you like doing this as well. Is arranging the tracks. Yeah, that's a fun that, that's, part. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I, I was just doing it because I'm like, oh, I, I like doing it and I was just getting it done. But I'm like, oh, you know what? That's kind of fucked up. Like, I should <laughs> be like, hey, do you want to arrange these? Uh, because I was like, oh, it is kind of fun figuring it out. Um, it's certainly not an exact science. In some parts, I got lazy. I'm like, these are kind of over here. And this one, <laughs> listening back to it, I'm like, that's kind of out of place. Whatever. Uh, you know, but it is kind of fun uh, doing that. So let's, let's jump into it. Uh, so the first track... Uh, on here, let me pull up my list. Ooh, face recognition, thank you. Uh, is all right. So the first one I had heard before. Um, it's I wouldn't say it's it's anywhere in my favorite Christmas songs. I was just going with our surfing aesthetic. Uh, I was like, okay, the Mad Caddies. They have a song called "I'm Going Surfing for Christmas." You know, I used to listen to the Mad Caddies uh, and. I was like, oh, you know, I knew they had this Christmas song and I'd heard a couple times before, but I was like, this is Pop Bonsai, and for some reason we picked a surfing aesthetic, and we're going to run with that, baby. So <laughs> sometimes a choice is as simple as being on brand. So I'm going surfing Christmas Day. It is a, it is a jaunty little, it feels more like a Jack Johnson song than a Mad Caddy song, but um, it, it, it's a fun little like jaunt, and it has... A real West Coast uh, Hawaiian or California vibe to it, which is kind of yeah. bright and sunny. And like you're waking up in the morning, uh, having a cup of coffee, and I'm going surfing for Christmas Day. Yeah, it, it is. It's very, uh, very toe tapping. Yeah. And I have actually never heard this band before. I, I've heard the name. Uh, but are they like a, like a rockabilly type thing normally? They, I thought this sound was a little bit off their original sound. I thought they were kind of more like a pop punk. Oh, are they kind really? of? Okay. Um, Just the name kind of reminds, kind of seems like rockabilly, sort of. Kind of it reminds me of like Madball, you know, 
uh, you know, or like an H2O type of sound, like that type of thing. But, um, but yeah, this was really fat. Yeah. Fat release. Yeah. They, they were, um, kind of, that is kind of the sound like that fat record sound, which is variable, you know, but it, it's, they're of that scene. Huh? Wow. The next song, do you have it up here? I'll, I'll let you do your your song because this next song might be my favorite song on the list that I had not heard of before. Oh, really? uh, oh dude, go ahead, go ahead. You no, know, no, no. So I'll let you introduce uh, the song. Okay, so the second song is uh, JD McPherson's uh, "Bad Kid," uh, and it's off of his Christmas record called "Socks," uh, released in 2018 on a New West Records, and. I had always kind of I, the kind of people that 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 listen to JD McPherson are more of like a like a rockabilly type, and so I always kind of just just um, dismissed him as ah oh, you know he's he's probably a lot like that you know like the uh, more cramps you know type influence. But I heard a, a guy I know. Um, turned me on to him and he, no, no no you need to listen to this you need to listen to this and i'm like wow he's he is a little on the rockabilly side but he's more like eddie cochran type like he's a little more smooth a yeah. little bit just more cool Pol- and, yeah a little more polished yeah yeah and this record this christmas record socks just completely blew me away i'll do this as the uh, background there we go as we're talking, let's do a little yeah, sample okay. as we go. Yeah, go ahead. And yeah, this whole this whole LP just blew me away, and I started listening to more JD McPherson, and he is actually really great. Yeah, so. I, I thought this song to me, I was just like, oh my god, this song is is I am jamming out to this song, and it's I will when I pull up the track uh, the playlist, no matter what. I am in the order. I always listen to that song. It's so good. It's so good. It's got this. It's got this added to it. Baby, I'm a bad, bad kid. You oh, got a stocking so full of sun. Baby, I'm a bad, bad kid. I haven't memorized it yet, but I will by next Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah, next great. one is. Ooh, Bad, Bad, Bad Santa by the Sugar Ray Dogs. Uh, kind of a rockabilly Tex-Mex feel. I saw the Sugar Ray yeah. Dogs, I don't know, like six years ago in a club. They're, they're kind of just like a club band from like the like the South, like it's kind of that real Western country rockabilly Tex-Mex style. Uh, and so I saw them in the club, and I, and I kind of like their sound. Uh, and so every now and then I'll check in on Spotify to see if they had come up, uh, with any songs. And I'd seen that they had come up, they had this, um, uh, song, Bad, Bad, Bad Santa. So I just, I thought it, the sound, I just like the sound that kind of that Tex-Mex rockabilly vibe. I think that's a fun yeah. sound to have for a Christmas song. Uh, it so is, that, it is. It always reminds me of like, uh, like Elvis Presley's that's Christmas it. album. It's that, it's how they do the bees. But yeah, I've never heard of this band either. And yeah, it it was cool. It was, it's a little harder. Yeah. It's like a little bit more of an edge than the, the previous couple of, of songs, but I, I dug it. Definitely. Uh, let's see. Uh, the next, uh, song is called Christmas on Mars by the Elfmen. So again, 
uh, we kind of are putting our rockabilly type songs uh, together on here. And it's another kind of just driving rockabilly sound. But I really like how they bring those the, the sleigh bells into the rockabilly sound. That it almost becomes replaces the um, the symbol uh, as that mm-hmm. that rockabilly beat on there. Uh, and it's kind of a weird, you know, Christmas on Mars. And I love the way it ends with that. Uh, you know, the astronaut being like, uh, you know, from here in, in outer space, God bless us all, and Merry Christmas each and every one of us from around the world. That's a good take out of the song. I, I kind of thought the Elfman had a little bit more of like a like a garage, like a Sonics mm-hmm. type element to him too, which, which I thought was pretty cool. You don't get that a lot of Christmas songs. And I really no. like that. And speaking of our, our rockabilly again, we, of course, we have one of the queens of rockabilly, Brenda Lee, coming in yeah. with a classic. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Uh, now, I was trying to think about this all last two weeks. What is, is that Home Alone? With that, I know it's featured in a lot of Christmas movies, but is that, is it, what movie is that? Is this featured in so heavily? Is it Home Alone? Is that where he's finally realizes Home Alone? There's a montage to it, and I think it might be Home Alone. Is there? I don't know. Okay. I don't remember. But this is uh, a must, you know, uh, for for me every year. You know, I I love this song, and this is like the first kind of traditional. Christmas songs that we have on here, mm-hmm. um, we have a few, and and a great choice, man. I, I love the song. You I can't. Love all the- I mean, you as much as you want to be like, oh, let's introduce people to like some stuff they might not have heard that we like. I mean, you, sometimes you just can't ignore the the good stuff, you know? Like, oh, right. Yeah, rock, and you, and you want that on your playlist. You want you you, you have to like the spoonful of sugar. It's like, oh, they'll go with you if you give them a little something they know. A palate cleanser, if you will. Yeah, All yeah. Right. You have the next one. Yeah. Okay. The next one is uh, Tom Penny, the Heartbreakers, um, Christmas All Over Again. And this is off of the uh, very special Christmas 2 compilation LP that was released in 92. And um, it was, th- these things are, are made to benefit Special Olympics. And they have a whole bunch of them with all different like artists, people like like Sting and No Doubt and who just a whole like potpourri of of bands and artists do these compilation records. And um, I originally heard this song though on uh, the ending credits of Four Christmases. That I don't know if you ever saw that movie with uh, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. That's a great Christmas movie. Yeah. I, yeah, will, I love it. Give me that baby. I, you, your unfit mother, I will swaddle this child. That is the best line in it. Or when he's like, oh, my God, turn him away. I'm going to do it, too. I'm going to throw up, too. Up. <laughs> dude, John Favreau, I think. Oh, the wrestling brother. Oh, my yeah. gosh, dude. That, that scene was, I die every single time. But. Yeah, I love that movie, and I never heard this Tom Petty song before. And I'm like, dang, that rocks! And so I, I it's become again every year. 
You know what? I was uh, listening. To, uh, we watched with the kids. We got to each teacher got to select a Christmas movie, and then we'd have like twenty four kids come into our room. I I did Jingle All the Way, and um, this uh, was it. This one or was it? Yes, it was. This one was in it. Yeah, that that Tom Petty one was featuring Jingle All the Way. I believe. It was one oh, of these really? Ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, great track. It's got. It's got. I love Petty. It's it feels like a Petty song, but it's a Christmas song. Uh, a great choice on that one. Um, next one is speaking of great choices. Yeah, is um, a little polka, a little Dylan, a little Santa Claus. <laughs> so this is uh, Bob Dylan's "Must Be Santa," uh, and what a fun, weird choice for Bob Dylan to do. Know, it seems so weird for Bob Dylan to do a Christmas song. Okay, I get. But, like, especially around the topic of Santa Claus and to do it in this kind of poke. And I, this kind of was his sound around that time a lot. He was experimenting with that. But um, it's that call and response. Who's going to dun 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 Who's going to It is almost very punk rock and it's like call and response movement on that one. That's that's one of your favorites too, huh? Is Oh, dude. Yeah, I, I, this whole album, um, Christmas Christmas in the Heart, that, that he released in 2009, was, um, again, another thing that just... I, I like Bob Dylan a lot, but I always kind of stayed away from this because I'm like, dude, how good can Bob Dylan's voice really be singing Christmas carols? Yeah. I don't even want to hear it because I'm going to... It's going to totally ruin my opinion of Bob yeah. Dylan. Silver and, bells, soon yeah. it will be Christmas Day. <laughs> That's really <Yeah>. good. <laughs> but... It works, dude. It's he somehow makes it work, and the record is great, and this track is great. Great video too, if you haven't seen the video, because it's like older Bob That's Dylan, cool. and he's great. Yeah, 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 it's going around there, and because they had people going, "Who's gonna do do do?" Yeah, watch the video, check that one out. Oh, All right, yeah, that's awesome. cruising through our tracks. Next one is yours. Um, next one is, uh, I, of course, I had to throw this in here. Yeah, uh, Bruce Springsteen's "Santa Claus is Coming to Town." Uh, recorded live at CW Post College in uh, Greenvale, New York, December of 1975, um, the year I was born. Um, and this was released as originally as the B-side to uh, My Hometown uh, single in, in 1981. And I think, so when I was a kid, um, I heard this, and I think the, the thing that really grabbed my attention was I don't think I've ever heard a Christmas carol sung with so much enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. you know, Especially about so Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. It's like we were, talk we were talking about Bruce uh, a couple weeks ago when we did Nebraska. And he's like, and I was sitting there on stage and I heard those sounds of those sleigh bells. <laughs> and I thought, man, oh man, Santa Claus is coming. You know? <laughs> it's that yeah, real dude. storytelling like if someone's gonna get you hyped up for santa claus how many of you been good out there oh, oh, oh ain't that many <laughs> you know you'll be practicing real hard <laughs> you gonna get that new saxophone for christmas yeah clarence <laughs> yeah, yeah dude it, it's like he believes and yeah. he totally like feel it it's it's great like, yeah he's not afraid to be corny 
in that right. song. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah, he doubles down on the corniness. Yeah. You know, and it works for me. Yeah. It'd be hard um, to transition from in that concert, like a Nebraska song, to Santa oh, Claus yeah. is coming to town. <laughs> it'd be, yeah, it'd imagine him going from like my father's house and being <laughs> transitioning <laughs> into Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> my father's door all right class you've been good this year is your dad gonna come back from the grave i know you've been sad since your dad passed away from leukemia i hope he's been a good boy and he's not in hell <laughs> all right next one's yours as well um so the next one is uh from a, a british band called wizard and the song is called uh, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. And it was released in 1973 on uh, the band's LP called Wizard Brew. And the the first time I heard this song, I actually heard a cover version of... I, I thought you were going to say, band. I wept. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the, the band was called New Bomb Turks. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Oh, of course I've heard of New Bomb Turks. I was a yeah. punk rocker in the 90s. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, it's kind yeah. of like that kind of sound. So yeah, New Bomb Turks um, did a cover of this, and it it rocks. It's so great. Um, and it was on uh, a co- another compilation LP that was put out by a label called Sympathy for the Record Industry, and the record was called Happy Birthday, Baby Jesus. And they had a whole ton- a whole bunch of Sympathy bands on here. New Bomb Turks did this song, um, and it had just had Manor Astroman on it. Had the Muffs, uh, the Red Ants. Um, just pretty much like a who's who of, of 90s garage punk. And so I did a little more research. And I figured out it was a cover and it was done by this band, uh, this this British band. And they're really bizarre. They're like this glam fantasy weirdness. Um, I might have to check if, out some of their other stuff. It's kind of like Bowie, have, Bowie uh, Descendants of Bowie type thing. It's kind of like, kind of like that, kind of more like, uh, like Slade, okay. almost too. Uh, but they have a video for this song, and watch the video, okay? Because it's interesting. <laughs> okay, all right. Speaking of interesting, this is oh no, that's the next one. Um, go ahead, and you have uh, the Darlene Love one as well. Yeah, so uh, Darlene Love, uh, Christmas baby, please come home. Um, on uh, Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector, uh, released in 1963. And this, if, if you haven't heard this whole album, um, it's an absolute masterpiece. It's a Christmas miracle in its own. <laughs> um, if you like stuff like like the Ronettes and the Crystals. Oh, yes, yes, yes. All Keep going. Phil Spector did. He, it's it's all of that stuff with a with a holiday bang to it, and friggin' it's fantastic. Because you have that wailing, the snow's coming down. That yeah. Christmas, yeah, yeah. That whole, yeah. The wall of sound, just yeah, pounding. And that drums you know. coming, just tempered down. Great, it feels the the christmas sound that probably had the longest life was you know like that 1960s all the way into 1980s kind of christmas vibe sound and it really seems to be encapsulated in that kind of phil specter-esque uh soundscape that he has there 
Uh, yeah. Always one of my favorites, of course, from, you know, Christmas Vacation, heavily featured in his pool, in his pool yeah. uh, vision. But you put this one, uh, a version of this on your uh, uh, playlist, on our playlist now. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, it's Melikilikimaka. And it was originally done by Bing Crosby um, on uh, on his White Christmas LP, which, again, is one of my favorites. And But this, this version is done by She and Him. And she and him is uh, uh, Zoe Deschanel and a singer-songwriter from, I believe, Portland uh, named Matt Ward. I love, I, just, I love Matt Ward's and Ward's stuff. Yeah. I, I, see, I was going to recommend that. I'm like, I bet Travis would like M. Ward's stuff. I have about three uh, of his albums on, on, on what the kids used to call CDs. Yeah, yeah. No, he, yeah, he was great back in the day. Um, and... I just stumbled on this. Um, I think I was listening to, to, to M Ward on uh, a, the streaming service that I listened to. And suddenly this came up. I'm like, who's this? And I'm like, this, he's with Zoe de Chanel singing like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And they came up, they have two Christmas albums actually. Um, and they're both really cool. They, it's mostly covers. They do a few originals peppered in there. Uh, but they they do covers really well. Yeah, I'm and, sure one of them's got to be "Baby It's Cold Outside," right? I feel like Zoe yeah, Deschanel yeah. is like that's like her favorite song, like all yeah. time, all times of the year. And they, they <laughs> reverse the roles though, like she sings oh, like the dude part. Okay, I know and she did, she did a version part. of that online with uh, who's the other who's the kid from uh, the kid uh, who's the guy from Third Rock from the Sun and uh, oh yeah, yeah with uh, uh, the one she was in Five Hundred Days of Summer yeah, with yeah. Um, Anyways, they do they do a cover on that. Online. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next one is "Donde es Santa Claus" by Augie <laughs> Rios. This is a cool one. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents had this cassette that was like weird or odd Christmas songs, uh, and it had like a bunch of funny stuff. Uh, you know, like stupid comical versions of songs and and this was on there and i was like this i feel like this song is rocks i don't feel like it's i guess it, it falls into the category of a novelty song because it's like a like it's got that spanish hook to it but i'm like i don't think having a song in spanish makes it a novelty song but like <laughs> in like the 80s and 90s it did you know um and I love just the kind of flavor of it, especially, you know, spending a lot of my Christmases on the West Coast in Arizona, uh, where it's, you know, sunny out every day on Christmas. It has, it feels bright. It feels, for those of us who don't have these cold, dark Christmases, it, it, it feels like a fun Christmas song that, that makes you appreciate a West Coast Christmas or a Southern Christmas uh, Donde yeah. Santa Claus? I'm pretty sure that kid is not Spanish though. He sounds like a white kid singing a Spanish song, or like a white girl or something. I don't know. I think yeah. he actually might be. Um, well, his name is Augie Rios, he... but <laughs> so I guess so. Yeah, um, he was 12 when he recorded this song. Oh, you did a little um, research, huh? Yeah, yeah. And it was released in 1958 originally. Um. So it was. It's a. It's been covered. I, I've heard the first time I heard this. Um, actually, my wife reminded me that I, we've heard this before. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Elvez. He's no. like a, a 
I, I believe he used to be in that punk band, the Zeros, and, uh, and the, from LA. And was it the Zeros? I don't know. I don't remember. But anyway, he does. He's like a, the Mexican Elvis, and he does like uh, uh, Elvis songs only like in Spanish. But he does them like kind of like garage punky. Okay. And he covered this song too. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be a good one for a garage punky thing. Donde yeah. Santa Claus? I like <laughs> so I I like little kids singing Christmas songs. I can't listen to like a whole album of it really. Uh, but I do like that vibe. It has a cool vibe. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. Then we have uh, another cover of uh, classic Wonderful Christmas Time, uh, Paul McCartney uh, original, right? Yes. And then this is The Shins. So tell us about that. This is one of your picks. Yeah. So uh, like you were saying, it's it. this was released on a compilation called Holidays Rule in uh 2012 and I, I you know i'm not a big fan of of paul mccartney's version at all in fact i don't i don't like it at all um <laughs> really? there's something yeah there's something about the 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 chorus that i feel like kills the the melodic energy that that that's in the verses that he sets mm. up in the, and it just kills it and the shins i feel do a good job of kind of bridging that a little bit better so that the song flows more and it's a little bit more upbeat. And so I actually enjoy this version better. I, I, I don't know. What did you think? Well, see, my, my thought was I hadn't heard the Paul McCartney this Christmas uh, version yet this year, but I heard this one and I thought it was, I thought the cover was almost too similar uh-huh. to the original but now that you say that, I'll have to go back and listen, especially to the chorus and the bridge of it, to see. Uh, uh, I'll listen to the original version and this version and see if the shins balance out that tone a little bit better. That's interesting. I didn't think about that because I heard this and at the beginning. I almost thought it was Paul McCartney because his uh-huh. he almost takes an affected Paul McCartney or at least a filter on the voice, which feels very Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, it does. But no, yeah, the, the Paul McCartney version is almost a little drab compared okay. to this. All right. Well, the next one, speaking of drab and places, um, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you right now. I think this year for this year, this is I've been listening to the Pogues, uh, the Pogues, fucking Pogues for <laughs> a good month now. Um, like really? dirty, like dirty old town. I've been watching a lot of um, uh, Sean. Um, Shane McGowan, yeah, Shane McGowan interviews and kind of stuff. I've been going down a Shane McGowan hole on on YouTube. Ugliest teeth in rock and roll, and I just this song to me is is my favorite song of this this Christmas. And I, I just, you know, listen, you talked about listening to lyrics this time. There's a couple ways you can view this song. You know, is it all like this drunken dream of someone, like an Irish guy in, you know, the Who's Gow in Ireland, and then he dreams that he, he goes to New York for Christmas with his lady, but then even in his dream, things can't go right and they end up arguing? Or, you know, is he locked up in... Is he an Irish immigrant who's locked up in a drunk tank on Christmas and he's uh, talking about how he got there? So there's a couple ways you can you can view this song, but um, uh, it just 
especially when the female part comes in. I forget her name, uh, but it is. It just Christy McCall. Yeah, Christy. Yeah, it just is. Uh, what Shane McGowan? What a great songwriter. What just like rake at the gates of hell. I mean, eh, God, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, and and for some people who don't who may not know Shane McGowan was actually like in like the original like British punk scene back in like 77 he was in a band called the Nipple Erectors and, and then later sh- shortened to the Nips um before the Pogues but and they were they're pretty good yeah the Nipple Erectors are actually pretty badass and you can actually see Shane McGowan in like uh, a punk rock the movie um just it, like runner, he was. I don't know if you ever seen punk rock. Yep, movie, but he was. Do you see? Remember the guy that was in the British coat? Uh, I saw it like, when I was like fifteen. I have it on VHS still. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so do I. But um, anyway, it was probably like a. I don't know. I think it's recorded or something. Yeah. But yeah, Shane McGowan was. Run, you can see him running around through there in the audiences and stuff. Yeah, but, I think my favorite. We'll have to do. We'll have to do something on the Pogues at some point. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love Rake at the Gates of Hell. I was I'll be here with a wake up screaming. I'll be here. It's the it's the best. I know we're getting off track, and we got uh, you know what? I gotta save it because we we got we got some playlists to go through. Pulse. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we have um, uh, Christmas time is here. The uh, Ingrid Michaelson version. Uh, there's a lot of versions of this song. Obviously, you know from Peanuts uh, special. Um, and I, you know, I like this version. It just feels we're about to get into the haunting section. You know, it's how we start. It starts with yes. from fairy tale and in, uh, uh, in New York to like how I'm feeling this Christmas, <laughs> 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 being away from my family for the first time uh, ever on on the holidays. Um, and this, it's this, it's weird because the song, it's. Lyrics suggest like a happiness, but it's this bitter sweetness to it. And I think that, you know, Christmas is joy and family and celebration. But there's also a lot of people in the world that it's it's not, you know, it's, you know, not everyone's yeah. birthday is a great birthday, including Jesus's birthday for some people. And um, I, I like that Christmas songs, that there is a good portion of them that aren't afraid to go to those places, either tonally or lyrically. And I think that that tonally, uh, this cover especially, takes it into a very reflective, reminiscent, but not complete, like not devoid of happiness in this song. Yeah, it's interesting. Songs like this and, and the Judy Garland one we have coming up, kind of have the same tone where it's 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 a christmas song but there's there's melancholy underneath mm, yeah you know and, and so how did you hear of, of ingrid michelson before I, i've um, never heard of her so ingrid michelson um around uh, kind of around the same time i was getting into like m ward and that kind of stuff there was that style that was really popular uh of these women singers who were coming out and doing kind of almost this isn't the, the the direct correlation but almost i don't want to say billy holiday uh but these relic type singing 
almost like cat vo- power. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, almost vod. You know, uh, mannequin. Uh, who am I thinking of? The 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 girl who is she's kind of more punk rock version. The guy, the girl who's married to um, Neil uh, Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I, I want a toy boy coin yeah. operated boy. That yeah, yeah. I don't know. It feels very mannequin, very vaudevillian um to me and this she shies away from that but a lot of her stuff has that kind of uh i'm gonna cut all my hair off and put it in a book for you because you broke my heart and i'm gonna mail it with my period blood in an envelope (laughs) (laughs) that's like that's like witchy yeah 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 wow yeah it's like uh, Return to Oz type shit. Um, okay, uh, so the next one, I got a couple on here as we get into the sadder part of Christmas. Um, <laughs> okay. Dark side. I, there, might not, there might not be a Pop Bonsai pl- playlist that we ever do where I don't put a Tom Waits song on it. In fact, now yeah. that's, that's my challenge because he has this huge catalog and he does things. So this is... Probably the least Christmassy of the Christmas songs on our playlist, but it does have Christmas in the title, so I'm counting it. Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis, and it's basically Tom uh, taking on the point of view of this hooker in jail who's writing her ex, first explaining how great life things are, and then just admitting uh basically that things aren't going great and at the end of the song being like i get parole come valentine's day uh and, but even though it's like not christmas i think i feel the piano it still has a tinge of christmas to almost more new year's eve than christmas to the melody in this song that that like, like- the piano notes the separated did that the, the tinkle the piano tinkle to me, always says Christmas. And um, again, just the the shadier side of Christmas, you know, like, hey, you know, uh, crack whores have Christmas too. I guess. <laughs> it does have like a like an all anxiety kind of feel to it. Yeah, he does do a, g- a great version of all anxiety as well. Tom Waits. Does he really? Oh, you can imagine oh, it. Oh, my God. Oh, really? You gotta have a drunken version. You know who do it? You know who would do a great version? The Pogues. Oh wow! All right. Um, again, I'm gonna run through a couple of mine. This one I wasn't gonna put it on there by Aloe Darlin. Space Christmas. Um, the only reason I put this on here is because the first verse. If I could get you anything for Christmas, I would get the Academy to give you an Oscar for your script, even though you haven't built a single set. I know that it's the best one yet. That the rest of the song, not a big, not a great fan of that line. <laughs> like to me, I'm just like, ah, oh, like this is like I want this that person in that song. I want to date that person. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Where it's just like they get you. It's just like, hey, I, I see the creativity in there and like I I I don't want to get you a thing. I I want you to get the to get the thing you want that most completes you and it's done in this very kind of uh, this type of music was really popular around like when Juno came out um yeah. and and I I kind of got nauseated around the, it was I I jumped on that train bandwagon too and then you realize uh who's the guy who Kurt Cobain stole a lot from and the autistic guy um uh 
uh, who do oh, like the, the doodles. Like the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I can't think of it right now, but it's it's of that genre, and so I thought it was just I thought it was an interesting enough uh, genre switch on there. So you talked about Judy Garland earlier, and this is your pick. Classic. Have yourself a merry uh, Christmas. So you pick this one. Was it my pick? Or I don't care. Oh no! Pick. Oh, this is mine too. Oh, man, we're doing. I dude, I should have mixed pick. it up more. All right, it's our pick. Uh, I, I, why do you like? Why do you like this song? I like it because of the same reason we were just talking about, um, like the Tom Waits or the uh, uh, Pogues song, because. It, it is about Christmas, and it, and it was actually featured in a Christmas movie. Well, what some people consider Christmas movie, Meet Me in St. Louis uh, in 1944. Um, but it does have uh, underlying sadness mm-hmm. to it. Even the way she says it, her voice is so fragile. Yeah, it's like somewhere, over, it. the, somewhere over the rainbow. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I lost yeah, you. yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. I keep losing you. Yeah. I lost you there for a second as well, but we're going through it. Pretty Paper by Willie Nelson. He was featured a couple of podcasts ago uh, when we were talking about Western Scoundrels. Again, uh, Christmas, Willie Nelson's voice, just beautiful. All right. Let's get to some of your stuff. Here we go. Blue Christmas Lights. I hadn't heard this one before, but I love Buck Owens. Yeah, what, what was this? Is this one of your ones from childhood? No, um, I started listening to Buck Owens. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe a little bit after high school, I got on this like uh, this classic country kick, and there's something about Buck Owens that struck me as so genuine. And uh, I don't know. I saw he had a Christmas album. I'm like, hey, I'll jump on that. And um, again, it's really good. Uh, like like Willie Nelson's Christmas album, like Loretta Lynn's Christmas album. Country is made for um, Christmas. There's something it about feels, it feels... Uh, those old country artists that that could do Christmas. And uh, maybe it's part of that that whole thing where uh, you know my whole my small town fascination. <laughs> yeah, um, whether this plays into, but there's just something that that. Uh, I like about old country artists doing Christmas songs. Yeah, it's almost like the yodel in their voice fits it really well. Yeah. Right. This one's yours, Winter Wonderland, and... Dean Martin. This one's yours coming up. Oh, I think we lost Jay. Yeah, so again, real quick, Dean Martin, um, Winter Wonderland, it's on uh, one and only Christmas album, uh, Winter Romance. They released in '66, and this is something about Dean Martin's voice. Again, that's you know the the drunken the drunken swagger that I find alluring. And uh, I'll just jump over real quick to uh, the Drifters. I love this song. Uh, I love Christmas. The, I love the Drifters. Uh, released as a single back in 1954. Yeah, this is a it's a cool song. I love the Drifters. I went through a big Drifters phase. But, um, 
it was released uh, as a single. And it was backed with uh, the Bells of St. Mary's, which is kind of a throwaway in my opinion. It's really slow and not that great. Next up, Christmas, Christmas Day. Christmas, yeah, Beach Boys. Again, like Bob Dylan, I thought it was it's going to suck. How good could the Beach Boys do Christmas music? But it's a great album. The whole album is really good. My, my mom used song. to play this in the car every Christmas growing up. It was We had this cassette tape, and it was constantly on rotation. All right, so the next one is one of yours. It is Come On Santa by the Ravenettes. This one's got a yeah. real kind of alternative vibe to it. Yeah, if, if people haven't, if you haven't heard of the Ravenettes, they do a really cool, like, uh, I always think of it as like Phil Spector meets like Jesus and Mary Chain. That, <laughs> that drum machine in there is really kind of funky. I think it's a drum machine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. That... Could be. I'm not Phil um... Spector. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And the second one is, or the next one is, uh, Julian Casablanca's uh, Christmas Treat, which was originally written by uh, Horatio Sands and yes. uh, Jimmy Fallon and done on Saturday Night Live in 2000. So It's so that crazy that song became like a classic Christmas song. I wish it was Christmas today. It's so simple, yeah. but it's, it's cool. It's like I a remote song. What mama's... Yeah, that's what it is. You're right. Yeah, and so next one is uh, the Waitresses' uh, Christmas Wrapping uh, on their uh, debut record in 1982, um, and they're most famous for doing that song, uh, I Know What Boys Like. I know. I, know, I, I can hear it now that you said that. I know yep. what guys want. Yep. <laughs> and uh, are we up to Slade? I think we're at Slade now, mm-hmm. right? So Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody. Again, a British band, British glam rock type stuff. Uh, uh, it actually, The song actually went to number one in the UK in 1973. It's got that uh, kind of out. British punk rock growly thing, like a little bit in the, the voice. Yeah, it beat out that wizard song Oh, uh, that year. <laughs> the British were killing Christmas that year. Yeah, and so the next one is uh, Manor Astroman's uh, Frosty the Snowman. Uh, instrumental, they kind of mix a little tequila in there. Yeah, I saw, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, and it's got a little surf guitar a little bit too. Yeah, ding, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, Silent Night by the Dickies. I think we both heard this one. Classic, awesome. classic, just. Silent Night. Great version of that song for some great punk rockers. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of us was going to put it on 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 there. So I was like, I'll just throw it on there. So I was like, going, but the Ramones, I don't want to fight tonight. Um, great song, too. Since you took the Ramones uh, for our Halloween one uh, <laughs> with Slug, uh, uh, I, I was like, I'll take it for the Christmas one with <laughs> I don't want to fight tonight. And then uh, another ending with uh, a punk song, Oi to the World by the Vandals. Which is weird because I wish I could play this song more, but it's got Oi to the Punks and Oi to the Skins. And if you're not uh-huh. in the music scene, you don't understand like what they mean by skins. Like You think like skinheads, and they don't understand like the, there's, a, there's a kind of a difference. Uh, 
<laughs> and so it's yeah. a little bit tough. Neo Nazis. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever hear No Doubt cover this? No, but I when I was putting this onto the playlist, when I searched it, that was the first one that came up. I'm like, why is this coming up? Yeah. Uh, it's not it's totally throwaway you don't need to hear it. <laughs> is it like oi to the world <laughs> that's more like garbage no we kind of try to keep it. yeah i know it's like yeah. shirley manson um no it's it's they try but you know i just never really understood the purpose of no doubt i guess i don't know <laughs> sorry i'm not home right now i'm Walking through a spider webs. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, know any of those songs or would like to hear any of those songs, you can look up the Pop Bonsai playlist on Spotify or on YouTube. Just type that into the Spotify search engine or the YouTube search engine. Or you can always go to popbonsai.com to find those playlists, that playlist, as well uh, as this episode and our other episodes. If you like what you hear on your podcast provider, go ahead and give us a rating a preferably a high one but yeah you know it's christmas rate what you feel rate from your heart <laughs> is what i say uh and we at pop bonsai will see you in the new year i'm excited to see what we come up with in the new year jay we gotta sit down and talk about this this is behind the curtain shit right now all <laughs> right so from all of us here at pop bonsai studios we will see you next year and next wave bonsai!